Well, it was fairly um, short notice, so uh, I resurrected a sermon that I'd done many, many years back. So, and I read through it and uh, just updated it slightly, but uh, it's still quite relevant today. And it's uh, Perseverance of the Saints, and it focuses on John 10:27 to 29. I'll just read it again. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now, quite a few years back, and some months before we started uh, attending the Presbyterian Church, I was at a home uh, study group and I brought up the subject of perseverance of the saints or the once saved, always saved doctrine. As soon as I mentioned that I believed that a Christian could never lose their salvation, there was opposition from everyone there. Not just mild opposition, but opposition in the strongest terms. I persisted with my points and I believe even with my limited knowledge I logically counted from the scriptures all their opposing arguments. One person in particular was getting very angry and was having great trouble controlling himself. The next day he called me and wanted to make an appointment to talk to me. And I thought, great, he wants to apologise. How wrong I was. When we met, he said I had committed the unpardonable sin and was heading straight to hell. Actually, it wasn't just what I said about the perseverance of the saints that upset him, but it was this doctrine that upset him the most and prompted him to confront me. It seemed every time I mentioned that a true believer could not lose their salvation, I was faced with strong opposition. I was not plucking my belief out of the air. It is a scriptural truth that permeates the whole of scripture. My acknowledgement of this doctrine started me on the road to Calvinism and the Reformed faith and eventually led my family and myself to attend the Presbyterian Church. Now let us look more closely at Jesus' words. Jesus knows who are his. In John 10.27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Jesus knew his sheep before the foundation of the earth as we read in Ephesians 1.4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. True believers hear his voice and follow him. The word sheep is the name that Jesus gives to true believers. Sheep depends on the shepherd. Sheep depend on the shepherd. True believers depend on Christ. Just as sheep hear the word of the shepherd and follow him, believers follow Christ. By faith they listen to his call. True believers are chosen of God. The Holy Spirit does a work in the heart of those chosen by God, causing them to respond to the gospel and seek God. They hear Jesus' voice and follow him. There's a couple more sermons in those verses. But let's move on to the main focus, starting at verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Who is the them? 
The them are the sheep, Jesus' sheep, true believers, the elect. And what does Jesus give them? He gives them eternal life. And just imagine that I said to Mark here, Mark, because you've done such a great job over the sound, I give you eternal life. That's a simple statement. I said that I give Mark eternal life. Not ambiguous at all. Eternal means eternal. Now, if for any reason whatsoever Mark does not have eternal life, I'm a liar. Now, I may be a liar, but God certainly isn't. When he says that his sheep shall have eternal life, they have eternal life. When he says that you will never perish, and you will, ne- you will never perish. Jesus even reinforces his statement with, neither, with saying, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I ask you, can this statement be expressed more strongly? Can a stronger form of speech be found? This statement is so plain, I find it hard to understand why anyone can read it and say that you can lose your salvation. Imagine that tomorrow you may sin and be eternally cursed. I suppose it's all a part of the easy believism in many of today's churches. An emotional sermon, then an altar call, come forward and choose Jesus, and after you have chosen Jesus and are so-called saved, tomorrow you may lose your salvation. No matter, you can choose Jesus again. Easy come, easy go. It's interesting to note that in the time of Charles Spurgeon, over 80% of those who made decisions for Christ continued in fellowship. But today, less than 10% of those who make a profession of faith continue to attend church. Now, quite a few years back in Swan Hill, they had a visit from the Impact World Tour, tour Raw Power. They were strong men that did a big show up the front and... Um, at the end of it, they had an altar call and they gave a, a sort of talk about the gospel and called people to come. And I've seen the stage was actually just covered with people who were uh, so-called making a profession for Christ. And there were quite a number there. And um, at that time, I was quite interested. So over the following 12 months, I knew lots of people various churches and I followed up to just find out how many of those people continued to attend. And 12 months later, I think there was two. And then when I checked again, there was one. And there's only one that I know who still continues to be a Christian. And that was probably, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago. And I thank God for that one, but uh, a lot didn't. Now I asked, were those people that went forward and made a profession, were they really saved? Easy believism leads to easy unbelievism. If you saved yourself through your own decision then you can just as easily undo that through your own actions. But if you were saved entirely by the power of God, then you will also be preserved by that same power and certainly raised by that same power on Judgment Day. For we are his workmanship, not our own. True believers cannot lose their salvation. Your hold on Christ may be be at times be very weak. If your salvation was in your hands, what a fragile thread would be holding you. Give thanks that it is not your strength, but Christ's, and his hold is unbreakable. As I said before, 
Could stronger words be used to express our security? But Christ goes on in verse 29. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Who gave them? The sheep to Christ? God did. A true believer is chosen of God. And in Romans 8.30 says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. This verse is known as the golden chain of redemption. It is an unbreakable chain, one that leads one thing leads to another predestination, effectual calling, justification and glorification. Although you are not glorified to fullness in this life, it is plain that salvation is of God. God gives the believer to Christ. It is a work of God, not your work, and God's work cannot be undone. Christ teaches that no man can pluck them out of the Father's hand. Your security in Christ is so secure doubly secure in the Father and the Son. What a hold God has on you, an unbreakable hold. We may falter, as the psalmist says in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The Lord holds you with his hand, if God is for you, who can stand against you? You have the omnipresent, omnipotent God keeping you. This is one of the things that makes Christianity unique among the many religions. Salvation is not of works, but a gift from God, a gift that can never be taken away. Where else in the Bible are we taught that the saints will persevere? These verses could stand alone, but they certainly do not. I'll go through some of the many verses that support them. And in 1 Peter Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now we see clearly that there that it is God who keeps you. Now in John six thirty seven to 40, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should, not, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
All God's elect are saved. He does not lose a single one. And in John 14, 2 to 3, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus has prepared a place for you, and we have his word that he will receive you to himself. Now we've got in 1 John 5, 11 to 13. And this is the record that God had given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things I have written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. We see that these things were written, and that you may know that you have eternal life. And in Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit, sealed unto the day of redemption. And in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of your inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And again, you are told that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we have more in 2 Timothy 4.18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You are preserved to God's holy kingdom. And in Romans 8, 36 to 39, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing can separate you from God's love. And I'll encourage you all to read Romans chapter 8, which is devoted to providing, to proving that the saints are saved forever. And I can continue on, the Bible's full of verses supporting this doctrine. The doctrine of the perseverance of saints should be not taught in isolation. There are other passages that need to be brought to mind also. Like in 1 Corinthians, I therefore so run as not uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Christ calls us to self-discipline. Many passages in the Bible teach that we have responsibility, the responsibility to fear God and obey his commandments. And in 2 Corinthians 13, 5a, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, 
prove your own selves. We are called to prove ourselves, and we have Hebrews 6, 4-6, often used as a prime text for those who oppose the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. And I'll just spend some time on this text, and I'll read it again. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of their heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. Now we need to be quite clear to which people this passage refers If we accept, as we must, that the scripture everywhere teaches that it is impossible for a true believer to fall away, then the falling away mentioned in these verses cannot possibly refer to a true believer. What we have here is a description of a cleverly disguised false believers. We have people that profess faith, but in reality are not true Christians. Churches are full of such people, There may even be ministers. They look like the real thing, but they will be revealed for who they are on the day of judgment. Jesus referred to such people as goats and compared to the sheep or true believers. Let us look more closely at this text. These people have indeed been enlightened. They may have sat under numerous sermons, read their Bibles, maybe a number of times. They have heard many gospel messages Their minds have been enlightened by what they have heard and read, but there is no real work of grace in their heart. The people in Hebrews 6, 4-6, are also said to have tasted the heavenly gift. They have some notions about the work of God and the gift of faith. After all, they may have had some kind of religious experience and even been baptised. They might have even taught the Bible. They have tasted of the heavenly gift but not received it. You may go into a cheese shop and sample a cheese and even like it, but if you don't buy it, you don't have it. Such people may also have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. You do not need to be a believer to be a partaker of the Holy Spirit or to have some operation of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is not the same as being permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Look at King Saul. He was a classic case of an unbeliever who had outward trappings of faith. He also had some operation of the Spirit in his life, as we read in 1 Samuel. The Bible also shows that unbelievers can be partakers of the Holy Spirit if they cast out demons and perform miracles in Christ's name through some operation of the Spirit. Judas Iscariot was surely a prime example. Along with The other apostles, he may have performed such work. He was a partaker of the Holy Spirit, but he was never a believer. The Lord Jesus spoke about such people in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These are just the kind of people referred to in Hebrews 6, 4-6. 
They can be partakers of the Holy Spirit. However, they are false believers, fooling themselves and usually all those around them, but they can never fool God. Another element mentioned in Hebrews 6 is that these false Christians can taste the good word of God. Well, this is another mere tasting experience. It is identical to the man in the parable of the sower who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He has tasted the good word of God, but ultimately he rejects its teachings in his life, for he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. When tribulation or prosecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. It's not good enough to taste the word of God. You have to do those things it teaches. The word must find a real place in your hearts, otherwise great will be your fall, just as it says in Hebrews 6. Such people can also taste the power of the word to world to come. They have some fantasies about heaven and about what heaven is like, and they can be afraid of hell. But even those notions are not enough to save them. The demons also have similar head knowledge and beliefs as the people in Hebrews 6, and like them, they are not true believers. So the people in Hebrews 6 can have all these experiences and feelings, but if they lose interest and fall away, even from their pretense, they will receive a double blow for not acting on the knowledge they have received. And Luke 8, 18, Take heed, therefore how ye hear, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. True Christians do not finally fall away. As C.H. Spurgeon put it, the believer, like a man on a ship, may fall again and again on the deck, but he will never fall overboard. The fact that people have imagined that true believers are being described in Hebrews 6 is a great sign of a limited view they have of scriptures. For believers have so much more than what is described there. A true believer is not merely enlightened, but they have the mind of Christ. A true believer does not merely taste the heavenly gift, but they have received it completely. A true believer is not merely a partaker of the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost has made his home with him. The true believer does not merely taste the good word of God, they live it. Only those with a superficial or defective understanding of Christianity could ever imagine a real Christian as being described in Hebrews 6. There are those who say that the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints will cause people to abandon themselves to sin because they know they cannot lose their salvation under any circumstances. But such thinking and acting is impossible for a true Christian who is only too aware of the awful price which was paid to secure their salvation. The love of Christ constrains them. So the real question is not, can believers lose their salvation? It is, am I a true believer? Are you a true believer? How can you know that you are in the faith, a true believer? You can only know this by your continuation in the faith, by your continuation in good works, by standing firm to the end. The doctrine of perseverance is both a comfort and a challenge. You can be certain of your perseverance because God has promised that you will have eternal life and shall never perish. And he will enable you to persevere. You can rest on him and he'll never let you go. 
No one can take you out of his hand. Let this doctrine not make you proud, but in humility and respect, and in every conflict, every persecution, every sickness, every fall, remember it is not your hold on Christ, but Christ's hold on you. My prayer for you is that you'll know that it is not your hold on Christ, but his hold on you. Amen.